thanks alex for joining in um, happy to be here uh, for for our audience we we do a show uh, in which we talk to industry experts and talk about blockchain and crypto uh, we try and explain from basics we try and explain from various different angles what crypto is all about and how it can be the future so that's the aspect which we take and in that series we welcome you uh, as our next guest thank you and i would just say that bitcoin is the future not crypto not blockchain very important distinction well exactly and that's that's why we would really want your views about about uh, bitcoin and uh, if you for our audience can you just give us a ba quick background about yourself and what you are involved in the in the bitcoin space and then we will take the conversation from there sure so i my career is in human rights i've been working in the human rights field uh since 2007 and um for close to 15 years i've been working with people around the world especially in authoritarian countries people who don't have the same rights and freedoms as uh you know i might have here in the us um and we've been doing different kinds of activities to help them whether that's through bringing them to events in the, in the west to help them tell their story uh going to them and producing events in asia latin america and africa to help them connect with others uh giving them technology that can help empower them helping them understand how to use encryption uh, other kinds of digital security tools um helping them understand how to fundraise how to market better uh basically just providing like a a full service support network for dissidents and activists under authoritarian regimes and and also doing you know what we can on our end to educate people about why tyranny is bad um why freedom is good uh and you know essentially you know also doing some research and legal advocacy to help folks uh who who are in trouble okay and that's very interesting and when did you start working with bitcoin on and this space in this space yeah yeah about 5 years ago i started really uh, getting into uh, bitcoin and understanding how it's linked to freedom so for a lot of people around the world a press release does them no good like that <laughs> they're stuck in a very difficult situation um and there's only so much our words can do to help them right uh, but open source technology is capable of reaching them um so in the same way that these people now can uh use things like VPNs and apps like Signal to communicate privately that's a really achievable um step forward i mean that is progress in a small way right that is real progress and you know we 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 in the human rights community should continue to do what we do and push and push and push but at the end of the day we have to realize that pushing only goes so far uh people need to do it themselves and they need the tools to do it themselves i think encrypted messaging is one of those things privacy yeah. is very important uh obviously in in the context of india as well um and there's been incredible encroachments on um people's freedoms and digital liberties of course as we know um but bitcoin is is really something interesting because it really gives people financial freedom i mean it gives people the ability to acquire an asset that cannot be debased by government and that they can control uh that they don't need to rely on a foreign power or a colonial power or some bank or corporation they don't need to have that relationship they can own their value through math uh and through cryptography and they can do it you know on their local device 
and they can back that value up and they can accumulate that value and they can have that independent savings account. I mean, this is not really something that's ever been possible before. I mean, up to this point, people usually have had to rely on commodities like cattle or sheet metal, or maybe gold to store value over time, to store your wages and time and energy. Um, or, you know, they would rely on fiat money, which of course is, you know, loses value. I mean, it loses purchasing power every year and, you know, and can be demonetized as of course you all have seen, meaning the government can just say, oh, these, these denominations are not <laughs> no longer valid. You have a year to turn them in and after that they're done and they're illegal or whatever. So a lot of countries have gone through demonetizations. Every country has gone through inflation, of course. Um, but, you know, a lot of countries have gone through really intense inflation, which is just theft, essentially. So Bitcoin protects against that. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's a big, big revolutionary concept, idea and action. Yeah, so this is very interesting. You, you touch upon many points here and I'm very intrigued. Uh, and I, I'm sure our, our audience is very intrigued as well. Uh, but we'll take examples and try and understand it a little bit more. Uh, have you seen in your in your five years of work? Have you seen some some kind of some people benefiting uh, in in these in these countries or economies by using Bitcoin? Give me give us some examples. Yeah, I mean, massively, both like on the individual sense in terms of me interacting with people, interviewing dozens of people, but also just in the metrics, like mm -hmm. you look at the data. Uh, now, there, there needs to be more work done in this area. We, we have a poor understanding in the Western media of Bitcoin use in emerging markets. Bitcoin is usually described as something evil in, in the West. I mean, it's described as something useless or evil or bad for criminals, terrorists. It's boiling the oceans. It's too volatile. Stay away from it. That's what our media has actually said about this incredible tool, which is actually going to help people, which really frustrates me to, to you know, you know, to the end of the earth. I'm, I'm very yep. upset by this because they are gaslighting a nation, many nations of people who really could empower themselves by using this thing. And we're going to learn about that in the next decade. Everybody's going to learn about this. But really, the media has done a tremendous disservice by attacking Bitcoin in this way. And there's really I, there's. It's not like there's a conspiracy. It's not like there's someone behind the scenes pulling the strings. It's just a general lack of understanding, lack of an open mind, arrogance, um, and just a just a disbelief that this could happen. You know, just a disbelief. Um, but at the end of the day, like I've look, I've interviewed people who fled from Syria, from Venezuela, people still inside countries like Iran um, or Nigeria who are using this thing to escape, like a broken system. And look at the numbers. I mean, look at India. There's, according to a recent interview with some of the exchange operators, there's 6 million Bitcoin hodlers in India, 6 million. Uh, and, and out of a you know community of probably more than 10 million, they say, general cryptocurrency users. And we're talking 6 million people who are just, just saving in Bitcoin, right? And you know, I understand the tremendous um, history that gold has in Indian culture uh, in different ways. I mean, I believe that in the next 20 years, Bitcoin is going to take most of that value. Um, there will, of course, still be ornamental value to gold, but it will not be used as a as a tribute, really, or as a store of value, or as or as a, a alternative to real estate. Uh, that will all that value will go to Bitcoin, but and all these families that use that use gold today, yeah. millions of families that where gold still plays an important part. As far as it's a store of value all that's going to Bitcoin. And I think that's something that's very important to understand. No, we, we get it. We, we are on the same page. But do you also think that a lot of 
where you've mentioned about a point about Western media and a lot of media is is talking negatively about Bitcoin, banks talking negatively about Bitcoin. Well, not just Western media, dude, your media too. And media, so right? Chinese yeah. media, everybody's media. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody. Like, yeah, so media is media, right? So not, nowadays, everyone reads uh, all different kinds of media. So it's not sure. only Western and on. So that's a wrong, wrong one to say. But do you think it's it's because Bitcoin is challenging what they are doing or they're yeah, yeah no y- yes like no it's two reasons number one it's challenging like it's bizarre it's strange and that's that's a challenge and it's something you actually have to work at to understand it is not just like you can't just look at it and and understand it you have to put in years of work to properly start to grok this thing and reporters are the reporters some reporters have been very good okay i don't want to generalize completely but the overwhelming majority of reporters have been lazy and they have not fully understood what Bitcoin is doing to the world. The other thing is that yes, it challenges the existing system. And that's where you might start getting into conspiracy theories and stuff. Cause like at the end of the day, I believe most of these reporters are independent. They're not like working for the central bank, but there is this like narrative from governments and from the powers that be, they're worried about Bitcoin for different reasons. Okay. I hope, um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I was just saying, I also think that some of these media talk negative because I think talking negative gives them more press. Of course. Positive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, but but that's, that, okay, that's, they're going to have to live with that yeah. regret th- that they helped fool people. I mean, to get clicks. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, there are people out there in my country who aren't connected to the banking system or who are uh discriminated against based on the color of their skin and that has prevented them from getting the same financial access as white people in my country um and we're like an advanced democracy over here okay so now think of what's going on in like china or saudi arabia or qatar where i mean we're talking the whole gulf is built on slavery of south asians who come over and are enslaved to build the you know world cup stadiums and all this bullshit right so i mean we're talking about real slavery out there um and you know this is a way for people who who don't have those documents uh to 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 receive funding all you need is a phone so you're in the kafala system and you live in sri lanka or the philippines and you're going to work in some slave apparatus in qatar or the emirates or saudi hey man if you've got your phone i can send you value you can earn bitcoin you can control it without the authorities knowing I think that's pretty cool, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think it's it is it is spectacular. Uh, but I'll touch upon a couple of other points as well because I want to really hear about your perspective. I mean, a lot of times, and I want to I want to remove the disbelief. So I want to hear your your side and your voice your voice about this. A lot of people talk about Bitcoin to be uh, to be an asset where you can save on tax, you can prevent paying taxes. So that's one thing which comes up a lot of times about Bitcoin. What do you think sure. about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, most, you know, virtually all crime is done with the fiat system today. Um, and an analysis, even by financial surveillance companies, uh, that was done recently, um, which was recently shared by a former director, yeah, acting director of the FBI, I think. Um, or maybe it was the CIA. Anyone, someone in the intelligence community in the United States shared a report recently. His name's Michael Moran. <clears throat> you can look him up. It's by Chain Analysis, which is a company I do not like because these people are spies. But basically, they say that basically Bitcoin crime use is like microscopic. Okay. 
Um, and you know what? Like for most people in the world today, the way that they use Bitcoin, it would be very, it would be kind of hard to evade taxes. I'll explain. Most people and institutions buy Bitcoin from KYC regulated services. Now, it's not ideal, but it's the reality of the world. The overwhelming bulk of Bitcoin is, is purchased in a regulated way where the government knows <laughs> like that you're, you're, not, you're not hiding, okay? Um, I think in the same way that we've always had an informal economy, a cash economy, uh, very important in India, of course, um, people who don't have the right documents, um, that will subsist and that will continue with Bitcoin in the digital world. We'll still have that informal economy, but it's not a negative. I mean, it's not going to make more criminals. Yeah. We're still, in my opinion, we'll still have about, I mean, humans are good. Overwhelmingly, humans are good people who, who want to, you know, uh, abide by the laws and help others. And that's just human nature. Some people are bad. It's not going to make, Bitcoin's not going to change human nature in that way. Um, there will still be criminals, of course. Um, but from the data we have today, the, the percentage of people using Bitcoin uh, that are criminals is way lower than the percentage of people using the fiat system who are criminals. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of, those are, the, those are the facts we have right now. As we move into the future, we don't know what's going to happen. But for me, the important thing to remember is that the biggest criminals are not people down the street. They're the yeah. governments themselves and corporations. Okay, so we're talking about the Chinese Communist Party or HSBC, which was like laundering billions of dollars to all kinds of criminals around the world through the Mexican drug cartels to the Russians and all kinds of stuff. And they barely got in trouble. Okay. So we live in a world of immunity. These people never get in trouble for anything. Um, so finally, we have a level playing field where everybody gets like the best asset in the world. This is like the big piece is like the current system is rigged and corrupt. Like the people at the top, they game the system, they get the insider edge. In Bitcoin, we call it the Cantillon effect. Like if you're close to the money spigot, you can benefit more than people who are farther away, right? So all of a sudden we now have a new money system where everybody's equal before the law. It does not, it does not uh, ensure a quality of outcome. This is not some sort of redistributionist scheme um, at all. In fact, it, it really opposes that. But what it does do is it provides like the same system for everybody regardless of whether the, you're the US with the petrodollar or the, or the Chinese or the Indian government, these big powerful governments, they are no more powerful to the network than the littlest person. And I think that that's a fascinating thing to think about. And do, do you mean, this, is, this conversation keeps coming when we talk about Bitcoin a lot, that, that there will not be any sanctions. We will, we will have an era where you can't put sanctions on countries because you can't put sanctions on Bitcoin. Do you think that, and that, that is actually a very powerful yeah. statement, right? Yeah. So it is true that money becomes unstoppable with Bitcoin, yeah. but sanctions are um, a layered process. So uh, I'm a big supporter of something called smart sanctions on individuals. Okay. Um, this is done through something called the Magnitsky Act. I, I very much oppose on moral grounds, um, broad-based sanctions against countries. I think that like starves and harms people. Um, like the embargo, Cuba, yeah, exactly. Iran, I, I really dislike these things. But if you know that this like government official in this country has murdered or done something terrible, okay, so let's sanction them specifically. It doesn't need to all be about money. Um, I mean, you can, and, and again, there's Bitcoin, but then there's like the world around you. Like you can prevent them from opening uh, KYC services in your country 
You can prevent them from sending their kids to Harvard or to some good school in your country. You can prevent them from buying land in your country. Like there's still things that we can do to punish bad people. Um, it, what, it, it just prevents us at the bottom base layer from doing like mass surveillance and, and having total control. Yes, that, that is what it prevents. But with good investigative police work and specific targeted sanctions, we can still, we can still uh, very much punish the bad guys. There's no question. Do you think I mean, the, the concept, the thing which you're talking about makes all sense, but do you think that Bitcoin is robust enough for technology or there's going to be some more innovation on top of it, which will, which will actually, it, it's, yeah. Yeah, it is very robust. I mean, look, we just saw, I mean, in the last few months we've seen, look, I mean, even just the last, let's go back five years. Okay. Yeah. When Bitcoin was much weaker, by the way, thermodynamically, yeah. of course, it's network security comes from the amount of mining that's being done on it. So Back in the spring of 2017, a bunch of Chinese billionaires and Silicon Valley corporations tried to attack Bitcoin. They tried to hijack it. They tried to increase the block size and turn it more into like a, um, a centralized payment network as opposed to a freedom technology. And they failed, even though they had 83% of all the hash power, millions of users and all these different things, huge amount of Bitcoin on their side uh, in terms of the actual wealth, percentage of the amount of Bitcoin. Um, and they failed because Bitcoin's not run uh, in that way. It is not, you can't do a coup d'etat. It is run by the users. Like I run a Bitcoin node at home. I am Bitcoin. I get to decide what blocks are valid and what software I'm going to run. And I'm not going to run software that, that increases the block size. I'm sorry. And there's millions of people like me. So Bitcoin is extremely resistant to attacks. Um, it is also resistant to government uh, regulation through what I call a Trojan horse effect. So governments have tried to ban their citizens from using fiat to exchange into Bitcoin. The Indian government tried, it was ruled as unconstitutional. They're trying again, but I mean, this is, it's not so easy. Chinese government tried, they failed. Pakistani government tried, completely failed. Usage has exploded in that country. Nigerian government tried, they failed. Um, really when you try to do like draconian restrictions like that, Two things happen. People move into peer-to-peer -peer marketplaces or OTC marketplaces. Uh, and number two, you're, you have the Streisand effect. So this is like when you say something, when you're like, oh, we want to get rid of this thing. And everybody's like, whoa, what, what is that thing? I want to learn more. You know, so you end up popularizing the very thing that you want to get rid of. Right. And at the end of the day, it's been very hard for governments to like control or stop their people from using this thing. It's failed. Obviously, we are now at like 200 million users and we're going up to a billion users and there's nothing they can do about it. But the more interesting thing is the Trojan horse effect, which is that governments themselves, corporations, the wealthy, they are starting to understand the value proposition of Bitcoin as a store of value technology. They're starting to really understand it and start to buy it. And, 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 and they're getting into Bitcoin. So it's like a virus that infects the elite. So in, in my country, the virus has been unleashed. We have a Bitcoiner in the Senate Banking Committee. Yeah. We have Bitcoiners in the Congress. We have a Bitcoiner at the SEC. I mean, we've got Bitcoiners on Wall Street. We got it's it's it the, the Trojan horse is inside the city walls. Like it's not you can't get it out. Um, there's too much protections in my country. So while in dictatorships there might be these draconian crackdowns, they're not very effective. And and in in free countries, at least in the United States, it's too late for any sort of stopping. And and the network is too resilient and it's too decentralized. Yeah. And but what about from a technology perspective, what about the transaction speed and, and fees? 
What I mean, do you think that? Yeah, I think the thing that you, the really important thing to understand is that Bitcoin is not a competitor to Visa. Bitcoin is a competitor to the petrodollar, to like the very reserve currency of our earth right now. That's what Bitcoin competes with. So at the end of the day, it's really, it's, 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 it's competing with, in history, gold and the US dollar and Bitcoin's next. I mean, we're talking like the, the substructure of the entire world financial system. That, that, that's what Bitcoin is competing with, not Visa. I mean, Visa sits on top of the banking system, which sits on top of the dollar system. Like Visa is not a comparison to Bitcoin. Lightning Network might be a better comparison to Visa, uh, you know, from a Bitcoin point of view. Like what you need to understand is that Bitcoin transactions are going to get very expensive in dollar terms over the next decade. Uh, I, I would imagine that even in two or three years, they might, you know, we'll see. There's some improvements that can be done, but look, the dollar is also de decreasing in value. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised that by like, by the end of the decade, you know, fees are many hundreds of dollars to do a fee on the main chain. And, and the average user won't, won't use the main chain. The main chain is going to be like a settlement layer network for big institutions, or when you really need that final settlement property, um, it'll be like this batched thing. When, I, when people like are spending Bitcoin or doing small transactions or doing small buys or whatever in the future, they're all going to be on lightning is my belief. I, I think people are going to be born into this second layer, which has really interesting assurances. Uh, you can use it non-custodially. It is way better than Visa in terms of like it's instant and it's very private and it's final settlement. It's not like Visa where, oh, you have to like wait for some sort of thing. No, it's like, boom, it's final. Okay. It's global. It's borderless. It's permissionless. You don't have to have ID to use Lightning. Lightning is amazing. So, I mean, I really think, and, and it, people have mocked it for being slow. It's not good enough. It's too hard to use. Just give it some freaking patience. Like this thing is taking off. It's just, it takes time. It's really tough technology to scale to usability, but people are making it happen. In the next two years, you're really going to see this. Like right. Lightning apps on phones are going to be awesome. So um, at the when end of the day, though, you got to understand that even Lightning has to be properly used. Right. It has, there has to be an element of, you know, you're, you're, you have to be custodying it yourself. So, you know, the, there's, there's probably not going to be in the near future, like a fully, you know, non-custodial all on my phone. You kind of need to tie it to something. And currently, that means you have to run a node at your house or trust somebody else. But people are working on technology to allow that that node to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And, you know, hopefully it's just something that you can you can kind of easily do. But the idea is that, like, at the end of the day, you can use Lightning um, in the future without running a node in a non-custodial way. And I think that's the future that we, we want here. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's that's uh, a lot of tech technologists are working to solve that problem. Uh, I do think that still there is uh, the usability issue still. Like, for, for example, we do talk about people from these authoritarian uh, countries. Uh, it's difficult for them to, to own a Bitcoin or, or have a non-custodial wallet. It's still complicated, right? It's still... Still, those things have to be. I mean, not that complicated. I mean, today, like if you look at like a moon wallet or a blue wallet, if you yeah. put lightning aside, lightning is the complicated piece because of the, the way that it needs to work with channels. Um, Bitcoin itself is pretty freaking easy, man. It uses a QR code. I mean, yeah. you know, we shouldn't think so lowly of our fellow human. Like it's it's not that hard to use Bitcoin. Like it's 
no different than Instagram or Twitter or any other app you install on your phone. I mean, it, it's very, the apps are extremely easy to use these days. Yeah. Uh, the thing that makes it slightly more challenging is that, you know, you do want to control your Bitcoin and back it up. So therefore, usually that entails writing down a bunch of words Yeah. and then storing them. Okay. Well, that's your, that's, that's the cost of owning your own Bitcoin. You, you know, you want to be the backup. But there, there are some apps that are making that even easier, actually, with different, different, different techniques. This is all just going to improve. I mean, again, we're like in the early 90s here of the internet right. or the phone for this technology. It's going to get so much better. We're in dial-up, you know, we're like connecting on the <laughs> eh, 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 eh. It's like, oh, it's not working. It tastes like yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that's where we are. And it's like, oh, my I have to have this huge computer to like do anything or this huge phone, which like sucks and is very expensive. It's kind of where we are. And like in 10 years, it's going to be so much better. So I, I know we're, we're just at the end of the time. So I'm going to ask you one bold, and I don't need a price prediction, but I need a, I would want you to give a, a prediction <laughs> about Bitcoin. I don't talk about price prediction. Give me a prediction oh, about Bitcoin in the next five, 10. Where is it going? I'm not going to give you a price prediction, but I'll give you a user prediction. Yes, I don't want um, a price prediction. Correct. All right. I'll give you a, a prediction about the users. So I think that by 2025, there will be a billion users of Bitcoin. Yeah, may there be faster. <laughs> Today, it's 200 million. So I 5X. think we're going to go up 5x in the next two and a half years. Uh, three and a half years. Yeah. yeah. Good. No, that's, that's great. So that okay. helps. Look, with that, we come to the end of the show. It was great chatting with you, Alex. It, uh, you have a completely different perspective. A lot of uh, blockchain or decentralized people may not 100% understand or agree. But hey, you have a very, very interesting and unique perspective. We respect, and I think we learned a lot. And I'm sure. Thank that you. And I'll just say, the, the, you know, the reason I'm not passionate about these other technologies is yeah. that they're similar to fiat currencies. There's a small group of people in control of all these other altcoins, and that's what we're escaping from with Bitcoin through proof of work and full nodes. We have a new system that's not controlled by anybody, where the issuance is not manipulatable where we all know it's going to be 21 million and that's publicly something that we can all talk about. And that is not something that a small group of people can modify behind the closed doors, which is the way the world works right now. So, yeah. I mean, in, in the world system now, the people don't get to make decisions about the money. They just have to suffer the consequences. So we're flipping that on its head. And that's why I think Bitcoin is, is so important yeah. uh, for human rights and for the world. So thank you for having me on. And interestingly, today's date, just mentioning, it has double 21. It's 42121. So Bitcoin, 421 million. Cheers. On that note, we'll stop. All right. Morning. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Bye.